Hello, and welcome to Joe and Cat Chats. Today we're talking about the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Oh my goodness. So we're recording this live. It's March 30th, 2021. We're on Facebook and YouTube at slash Joe Nice DJ. And also find us on all socials at Joe and Cat Chats or on our personal pages at Joe Nice DJ and at Catwells22. We are also happy to be a part of Tastemakers Radio on Dash Radio. So listen to us every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And as always, I'm excited to get into the topic today. But first, how are you, Joe? You know what, Kat? Um, today is another day in the life. We are um, doing what we need to be doing. Let me stop the executive production on this side <laughs> of the screen here. Um, a lot going on, a lot on my mind, a lot of things happening out to everybody that's in the chat right now. Um, you know, as you can see, I've got the George Floyd button that I bought at a local grocery store here, the Weaver Street Market in beautiful Carborough, North Carolina. The Derek Chauvin trial has started this past week. George Floyd is not on trial. Let's make sure we remember that. We want justice for George Floyd. We want justice for anybody that has been unnecessarily or, un or unjustly shot, killed, murdered, brutalized, anything as a result of white supremacy and police brutality. Um, Special dedication today to um, a dear friend of mine who just messaged me a couple of minutes ago. My guy, Dr. Albert, is not a doctor, but um, he's a dear friend of mine, dear brother of mine in Ljubljana, Slovenia. I hope he and I can chop it up together again soon. There's a whole lot of stories with me and Dr. Albert that we can tell, but that's going to be for the Patreon. That might even for the, be for the um, for the for the, for the Joe and Cat Chats After Dark series. It, um, <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, which yeah, is not yeah. actually a thing, but yet. <laughs> no, not yet, not yet. But but it could be. It it could be. It very well could be. Yeah. There but, you go. But it very well could be. But other than that, everything else is you know cool as a fan. How are you? Yeah, that's great. I'm I'm doing well. The sun is out here, which is kind of a novel thing mm -hmm. <laughs> after a long winter of gray skies. But um, yeah, so I'm feeling good. Uh, I've been thinking about uh, those in Burma who are continuously experiencing police brutality. They There was a crowd of protesters that were shot at, uh, I think yesterday or, or late Sunday night, depending on time zone. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's just, there's there's some really nasty things going on around the world. So my heart goes out to everybody who is, you know, protesting for you know, their own human rights, because as we're going to find out today, there's a lot of human rights that are listed and that are not being upheld. They're consistently being violated. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Also keeping eyes on the Derek Chauvin trial as well, because that's, Absolutely. we need justice. Exactly, exactly. And as I'm sure, for those that are watching right now, out to all of you, you all see that I am wearing a black vest today for today's episode. It is important that we stand and support all of those who who face any sort of white supremacy, who face any sort of inequality. We stand with those who, who need our support the most. As I'm sure many of you all know, I'm a strong and ardent supporter of the Yellow Vest movements, and not only the Yellow Vest, but the Black Vests in France. And, and we're going to see today, as you so eloquently said, Kat, we're going to see that the, the rights that the Yellow Vests and the Black Vests are fighting for are human rights. And 
there are certain people in positions of power that do not want those groups of people to have those rights. So we're gonna talk about why those rights are being violated as per the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And I'm looking forward to slicing and dicing and um, spending some time with the co-host with the most from most on the other coast. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I can't even, I can't even follow that. That's <laughs> incredible. <laughs> uh, but yeah. in true form, I guess we should start with some definitions. Yes. Because uh, that's yeah. what we do here on Joe and Cat Chats. That's exactly what we do. That's exactly what we do. And before we start with the definitions, I want to start with a quote to kind of set the mood and the tone for today's conversation. There is a French mathematician named Rene Descartes. Rene Descartes. And in his book, Discourse on the Method, there is a quote that he had from the book where he said, I think, therefore I am. Mm. I think, therefore I am. And the understanding of that, and I, there's a Danish philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard that had his own take on I think, therefore I am. Part of the reason we're discussing human rights are human rights are rights that you get simply on the basis of being human. So yes. if you think you are and you exist, and there are rights that people get simply on the basis of their own physical existence in this mass of gas and water and air and soil that we call earth. So to go into the flow with definitions, human rights are basic rights and freedoms that everybody gets because they are in existence. And you get them from birth until death or a phrase that I've used in the past, you get them from the womb until the tomb. Mm -hmm. Human rights, you get them simply on the basis of being a human being from womb to tomb, birth until death. Yeah, I mean, human rights are, are something that we're entitled to, a life of equality, dignity, respect, and a life free from discrimination as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you can already kind of see where some of these things are being violated. Uh, I mean, in your own life and in the life around you. So yeah, I think this is a really important thing to be talking about. Absolutely, absolutely. Out to Just JC, who's saying hi, Kat okay. and Joe. Out to Ethan S. Moore saying, saying, thank you for having these conversations, Joe and Kat. We appreciate the support. Tell your friends, tell everybody, because we like more having more people watch what we do. Now, yeah. The, 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 we've already kind of described what the word human means. Now, the other part of that phrase is rights. What is a right? What is a right? A right is a legal, social, or ethical principle of freedom or entitlement. So again, mm. human rights, you get them because you're a human being and you have certain freedoms and principles that are based upon legality and social structures that you're entitled to have because you are a human being. Now. The other form of rights that we typically hear about in the conversation of human rights are civil rights. Now, civil rights are guarantees of equal social opportunities and protection under the law, regardless of religion, race, or other characteristics. So to compare and contrast the differences between human rights and civil rights, you get human rights from being a human being. You get them simply on the basis of being alive. So a newborn that's born to your local hospital, gets human rights. The oldest human being on earth, and I don't know who that would be, but they've got to be really old, they also have human rights. Now, you get civil rights based upon where you were born or your membership of a, of a certain political state and or country. 
Now, you live in Canada. I live in the United States. I have you have citizenship in Canada. I have citizenship in the United States, England, and Trinidad and Tobago. The civil rights, although all three countries that I am a citizen of and the country you are a citizen of are all signatories to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, the civil rights that you get are based upon laws of those particular countries. So as we go along, we can see that each country has different laws. And as a result, those laws will affect the human rights that you're eligible to have. Mm -hmm. so, so for example, in um, the US and Canada and England, Trinidad, wherever, women can drive. Yes, we can. Yes, you can. Up until 2018 in Saudi Arabia, which is a member of the United Nations, women were not allowed to drive. So there is an example of how civil rights can differ based upon the country you live in. The, in the United States and Canada and all other 191 member states of the United Nations, women can vote. In the Vatican City, which is the smallest country in the world, which is also known as a microstate, women are not allowed to vote. In the USA and Canada, women can go to school. You can get an education, you've got a master's degree, women can learn. In South Sudan, school for women is almost prohibited. 73% of young women and girls do not attend school. Now, laws are, laws change over time. So, as a result, the country that you live in, the laws that you might have had a decade, 20 years, 50, 100 or 200 or 300 years ago might be different than the laws you have now. Take a look at voting in the United States. Someone that looked like me was not allowed to vote in 1869, but in 1870, black people were allowed to vote. Women were not allowed to vote in the United States until 1920, until in 1919, women couldn't vote. So in the 23rd Amendment of the United States said people who live in Washington, D.C. have the opportunity to vote for the president of the United States. Before 1961, that was not the case. And you had to be at least 18 years old or older to, in order to vote. And that was made into law under the United States Constitutional Amendment, the 26th Amendment, in 1971. Before 1971, you, you, there was no specification as to how old you had to be. So you could try to vote if you were 16 years old, they could turn you away. So they set an age limit of at minimum of 18 years old or older. So again, to kind of go, go back to the whole situation with the laws changing, before the 14th Amendment, voting was really only for white men. Now, after the 14th Amendment, it was still really for white men and wealthy landowners, but under the law, it was allowed for everybody to vote, regardless of race. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a really important point to bring up because although there are some really blatant ways in which certain states, um, you know, ignore or violate these human rights um, in sort of a civil rights or civil way, because they're all sort of in their own political state, um, but there's also like really nuanced ways in which these are being violated. And that's kind of one of them because uh, although we technically have the right to vote, I mean, there's lots of things that inhibit or, uh, you know, hinder folks from, from voting, for example, not having the day off to go vote, uh, which 
privileges people who have jobs security uh, and, you know, positions that aren't precarious. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of gerrymandering and things like that that contribute that we've all that we've talked about in many of our episodes before. Uh, so there's there's these nuanced ways in which you can sort of see how human rights are being violated um, in sort of the colonial legacy of how our our laws are created to to have these civil um, sort of rules that we have to abide by. So absolutely, absolutely. Now just so we have an idea, you know why exactly do we have human rights? Why do we have human rights? I mean, you would think that as human beings, we wouldn't necessarily need a set of rules for everybody to follow because you would think that we would treat everybody like human beings. But there have been many instances in the past where people have not treated other people like human beings. And really the basis for the Universal Declaration of Human Rights came from World War II. And the atrocities that we saw with World War II, most specifically the Holocaust of six million Jewish people being killed in World War II. And after World War II, governments around the world decided to get together in an effort to have more international peace and harmony and to end conflict around the world. So in 1945, June of 1945, the United Nations was established. And I think it was established, if I'm not mistaken, in Geneva, Switzerland, or as the or as the Swiss folks in the western part of Switzerland say, Geneva. Mm. Now in 1948, representatives from 50 member states of the United Nations met with Eleanor Roosevelt. Eleanor Roosevelt was the first lady of the United States of America at that time. And what they did is they created a list of all the human rights that every, everybody should have around the world. Now on December 10th, 1948, the General Assembly of the United Nations announced the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And these rights are the foundation of international human rights around the world, including the International Bill of Human Rights. Great. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's great in the sense that like, this is this is not a new thing. We've we've had these human rights outlined for you know seventy years or more, I guess now. So, I mean that's that's good. I just have a little bit of a hesitation in accepting all of all of this like at face value because clearly we're here to uh, you know be critical of of these concepts, and I think that there is uh, an aspect of Eurocentrism uh, in the Universal uh, Declaration of Human Rights because of how it was created, which is fine, but also we need to be critical of it. So just as a, a quick overview, Eurocentrism is just like focusing on European culture or history to the exclusion of a wider view of the world, implicitly regarding European culture as preeminent, mm -hmm. uh, just so everyone sort of understands that definition. Mm -hmm. But. And that, and that makes total sense, Kat, and that makes total sense given, number one, who was responsible for writing the, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and many of the other countries that were involved in the 50 member states that were the first cohort of the, universe, of the United Nations. Now, there is a speech, there's a quote from the speech that I want to read that Eleanor Roosevelt delivered at the first, at the 10th anniversary of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And 
the name of the speech is called Where Do Human Rights Begin? And I'm going to read you. It's about it's a couple of sentences. It won't take long to read. Where Eleanor Roosevelt says, where after all do universal human rights begin? In small places close to home, so close and so small that they cannot be seen on any maps of the world. Yet they are the world of the individual person, the neighborhood he lives in, the school or college he attends, the factory, farm, or office where he works. Such are the places where every man, woman, and child seeks equal justice, equal opportunity, equal dignity without discrimination. Unless these rights have meaning there, they have little meaning anywhere. Without concerted citizen action to uphold them close to home, we shall look in vain for progress in the larger world. Mm. Yes. So with, with that, it's what she's basically saying is everybody, regardless of where you are, should have human rights. And it doesn't matter whether you're a man, woman, or child, doesn't matter what job you have, wherever you are, you should have you should have human rights because you're a human being. Now, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights has 30 articles that include the right to asylum, free speech, and education. And there are other rights that are afforded in terms of political and social rights like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Does that sound familiar? Free speech and privacy. And it also includes socioeconomic rights, such as social security, healthcare, and labor rights. And we're gonna get into all of that today in the remaining 42 or 43 minutes. And as I said earlier, I'll make sure I mention this again, there are 192 member states of the United, of the United Nations all 192 members of the United Nations are signatories to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Mm. Great, yeah, no, I mean, that's great that there's so many countries involved with this because, I mean, it is really important to, to have documentation of these things that should be universal uh, and should be granted to everyone who is alive uh, and human uh you know but again it's it's sort of easier said than done i guess in certain aspects uh not to um absolve any any uh responsibility from anyone um but i think before we go over the like the actual articles um you had mentioned something that i found really interesting as sort of a as cross-reference material and that was the human freedom index so i looked this up and so the the human freedom index this is from their website presents the state of human freedom in the world based on a broad measure that encompasses personal civil and economic freedom human freedom is a social concept that recognizes the dignity of individuals and is defined here as negative liberty or absence of coercive constraint. Because freedom is inherently valuable and plays a role in human progress, it is worth measuring carefully. The Human Freedom Index is a resource that can help to more objectively observe relationships between freedom and other social and economic phenomena, as well as the ways in which the various dimensions of freedom interact with one another. So I thought that was a really cool way to sort of bring in another index. Uh, and you also mentioned the Human Development Index, which we talked about 
in uh, one of our episodes. I think it was episode 17 yes, of showing Cat Chats. Yep, it was the Capitalism and HDI Human Development Index episode. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, um, and we actually mentioned two statistics in that episode. We mentioned the HDI, the Human Development Index, and we also mentioned uh, I guess uh, the inverse of that statistic, which is the fragile state score. And right. as I was doing my research for this, I, I looked up countries that have a high score on the human freedom index. And country number one that has a high score is New Zealand. And now there are three scores. You have personal freedom, economic freedom, and human freedom. The human freedom based on the human freedom index score is obviously the score that we are going to be watching. New Zealand is one, Switzerland is two. Other countries that are ranked high are Denmark, Australia, Canada, Ireland, Estonia, Germany, Sweden, Finland. Now, when you take a look at those scores, because sco again, they score high on the Human Freedom Index, there's a high probability, and again, we can take a look into this, there's a high probability at, or really a strong correlation between countries that have a high Human Freedom Index score and a high HDI, they will probably have low fragile state scores. So for example, Switzerland has a high HDI, they have a low fragile state because their social systems are intact and they're not likely to have a complete collapse of their society anytime soon or if ever. And they have a high human freedom score. In contrast, countries that have high instability will have a low human index score and a low human freedom score. An example of that would be the Central African Republic. We spoke about them in not only the colonialism episode, but the capitalism and HDI episode. And the Central African Republic has a low human development index score. They have a high fragile state. And we've talked about the, the elections that have taken place in the Central African Republic, actually several different elections over the past few months or so. And they have a low human freedom score, among the lowest of the 162 countries that were ordinarily ranked in this, in this, um, in this, in this setup. So, again, just to make sure we have an understanding of this when we look at the data, countries there's a strong correlation between countries that have a high human development index and a low fragile state and a high free human freedom score. In contrast, countries that have a low HDI will also have a high fragile state score and a low human freedom score. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's um, it's noteworthy and important to be mentioning this stuff because really like the statistics don't lie in, in the sense that these these folks, I mean, of course, the the measures of the index indices are, you know, can be uh, challenged or, or criticized as, as anything should be. Um, but it's just, it's important to really understand that like this declaration is just a piece of paper with a bunch of like 30 articles on it. When it's, when we're looking at real places, uh, and in this case, political states like countries that, with political borders, um, you know, there's different ways in which these are being violated. And so I think it's just worth noting that the, the last few on the human freedom index, uh, the last few countries that rank the lowest um, are countries with, uh, you know, uh, 
crises or war going on. So the last one is Syrian Arab Republic, uh, Sudan and Venezuela are the last three. Uh, Yemen is the fourth from last. So uh, these places have conflict going on. They have a high amount of uh, civil unrest. And in the case of Yemen, I mean, they're basically there's genocide happening to them Absolutely. by their neighbors. Saudi Arabia. So absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, and that's a brilliant point, and thank you for mentioning that. Because again, if we're going to look at the top of the, of the table for the Human Freedom Index, we also must take a look at the bottom. So there's a complete contrast and complete transparency of the data that we're trying to interpret. And I, I, I know I said this in a previous conversation. I'll bring it up again. I had a statistics teacher tell me this in graduate school the first time around. He said, "Joe, numbers don't lie; people do." Mm. Numbers don't lie, people do. So we're gonna get into how people lie when they say they're upholding human rights, but they're actually not. And again, there are 30 articles. There's a lot, a lot of them we can kind of go over and gloss over quickly, but what we're going to do now in the remaining 35 minutes or so, this might even be a two-part episode given the breadth of how much we have to cover, is go over each of these articles, we won't read every single article word for word, but we'll give you a summary of the article. And then we'll give you examples of how my country or countries and your country and other countries around the world are violating these human rights on, on at minimum a contemporary basis, but we could even take it as far back as a slightly historical basis. Now, Granted, we can't go back to the 17, 1800s or even the early 1900s because that was before the, the, the creation of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. But we can at minimum go back to, let's say 1950, which would be 71 years ago. 70, yeah, 71 years ago. So we have an idea of how far back we can go to show how many human rights have been violated for all of the countries that were actually countries back in, let's say, 1950. Mm. Yeah, and when I was thinking about this, I was I was just thinking about sort of the recent and really relevant ones that are happening now because sure. there's so much going on right now. But uh, before we really dig into it, I also just wanted to mention, I guess, that the, this universal declaration is is utopic and it's a, an ideal sort of that seems plausible when you're reading it and it's like when I read it I'm like oh yeah of course these things seem like they should be a given for human rights um especially for those of us who live in countries that do have like a high human freedom score for example and high human development score but it's also something that seems uh difficult to uphold and apply or maintain in certain places, again, primarily places with conflict. Um, and so I just wanna just keep ha have people keep that in mind because uh, again, it's, it's a little bit Eurocentric in the way that it's uh, laid out and created. And so, yeah, so I think that that is sort of my, my little, thing I wanted to mention to dig yeah, in. No, 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 thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that. Um, let's start with Article 1. Basically, to summarize Article 1, Article 1 basically says that everybody should be treated in the same way. Everybody should have equal treatment for everybody. Take a look at how many different ways that's being violated, for example, in the United States. Take a look at 
For example, the George, George Floyd um, situation with Derek Chauvin in the trial. Um, take a look at black people being, un, being murdered by white police officers. That's a perfect example of how people are not being treated in the same way. Take a look at, in the 1950s and into the 60s, segregation. Segregation. Take a look at the, the school systems being segregated into the United States. So again, that's a clear examples of how human rights are being violated, not only historically, but currently. And I'm sure Canada has, has a similar situations. Yeah, so when I was looking at these articles, I grouped one, two, and three together because they're all sort of about equality, freedoms, dignity, including that sort of life, liberty, and security of person thing that we're very familiar with. Um, and so violations of the first three are of any kind of discrimination you can think of, racial bias, prejudice, violence, and persecution by the state, which is a good example because you brought up George Floyd. Mm -hmm. um, and the example that I really thought about when I was looking at these is the long-standing and structural genocide of indigenous peoples through the colonial state and cultural upholding of mm -hmm. white supremacy here in Canada and across the world, because this is not just a Canadian problem. It's not, it's not. And you're exactly right. You're exactly right. And I know article two discusses that, says that everybody should get these rights. And article three talks about everybody having the right to life and getting to live in safety and freedom. And when you think about the First Nations and indigenous communities in Canada, not living in safety and or freedom, this also gets violated in the United States. So for example, take a look at the pandemic, how we're not being able, we're not living in safety and or freedom. We're having to be yeah. living, basically stay on lockdown and be in our homes. Take a look at the situation with Flint, Michigan and the water. Take a look at the situation in Lincoln County, Montana with the vermiculite mine. So those are specific examples of how everybody has the right to life and living in safety and freedom, but it's it's in those instances, and I'm sure numerous others, it's anything but. Yeah, exactly. It's anything but. Now, Article 4 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights is essentially no, no one gets to be a slave. You don't enslave anybody. No one, no one is a slave. There are plenty of examples of that. Take, for instance, what's happening in Libya right now mm. with open slave trade that's taking place. Take, for instance, the United States and the prison industrial complex. If you've read the book by Michelle Alexander, The New Jim Crow, or if you have watched the Netflix documentary called 13th, the prison industrial complex, and I forget which scholar said this on the, on the documentary, but he, he, he or she basically said that the 13th, it was Michelle Alexander, said that the 13th Amendment was never abolished, it never abolished, it was transformed. And mm. the slave ship being on water, it is now on land in the form of prisons. And if you read the 13th Amendment, it talks about the, basically no one gets to be a slave except in the commission of a crime. So if you commission, commit a crime, you are essentially a quote unquote slave to the state. So quite honestly, the, if we're really digging deep into it, the concept of prisons, and at minimum in the United States, 
is a form of slavery, given the way that the Constitution was written and the ratification of the 13th Amendment. So quite possibly anyone who is in prison right now is probably having their human rights violated. Yeah. Yeah, I would absolutely say yes to that. They are. Prisoners are treated the worst out of anyone in in our society here in North America, particularly. Uh, And I could actually say across the world. Um, So, yeah, when I was looking at at the articles, I kind of grouped four to 11 together because they all kind of have to do with access to justice before the law and prohibits like slavery and torture, those kinds of things. So I thought that they um, went sort of well together. So, and most of these violations happen in war anyway. And so if there's conflict, I mean, we've, I've mentioned it uh, a few minutes ago too, like that it's just not a thing in, in war or conflict. Um, but these things are also being violated, as you said so eloquently just now, like just all the time. They're consistently violated by governments because we have systems that create prisons. Uh, and so like human rights are just not a thing in prison. So I, I don't know if that's controversial or not for anyone listening, but um, but yeah, let's talk about it. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I mean, I agree. Now, Article 5, and I like how you were grouping them together. I mean, obviously, I decided to go a slightly different way, but it all makes sense. Article 5 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights basically says nobody gets to be tortured. Don't torture anybody. No one gets to be a victim of torture. Think about how many ways the United States has violated that particular article. Look at Guantanamo Bay in Cuba and waterboarding. Look at the Middle East and many of the atrocities that the United States has committed against middle, middle people in the Middle East with various forms of torture, waterboarding, electric shock, electric electrocution, etc. Take a look at Canada and the RCMP and the numerous ways that First Nations people have been brutalized as a result of them being just indigenous people. The, the, getting, getting beaten up and held in a police station against your will and not committing a crime, that is torture. That is a violation of people's human rights. That is no different than what is happening in Guantanamo Bay. That's no different than prisoners being beaten up. Take a look if you've take a look at the Khalif Browder case. Khalif Browder was arrested for arrested for a crime that he ended up not committing, and then he spent three years in jail at Rikers Island before he was able to have a trial. Then he had his trial. He ended up getting out of prison and they ended up committing suicide shortly thereafter. And he was beaten up over and over and over again while behind bars at Rikers Island. That is torture. That is torture. Absolutely. And and again, we talked about prisons and people being behind bars and their human rights not even being afforded to them and then eventually taken away, but being treated inhumanely the simple inhumane treatment of somebody is a violation of human rights. Yeah. And someone that comes to mind as you describe that is someone we spoke about a couple of weeks ago in the whistleblowers episode, and that's mm-hmm. Chelsea Manning. Chelsea Manning. She was, was put into solitary confinement for a, a, an extraordinarily long time for Absolutely. most of, of her imprisonment. 
-hmm. and I mean, being a trans person, like you already are experiencing uh, higher than normal violence in your everyday life. And so in jail, in prison, it would be even worse. Uh, and she, she attempted suicide many times. Uh, and so, I mean, you know, like torture is just, uh, it should never be a thing, but it absolutely is. And it's usually excused, uh, like I mentioned before, in war circumstances. Um, but what about the kids in cages at the border? I mean, they're being held sometimes without, they're just in jail without any supplies. Some of them have bare feet. Remember when Texas was frozen? Children's feet were freezing because they didn't have shoes and they were not provided supplies. Yep. Couldn't have said it better. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And speaking of another person that we talked about in the Whistleblowers episode, that his treatment is, the current treatment is tantamount to torture and where this person is being imprisoned is none other than, than Julian Assange. He is currently imprisoned for, it, he is imprisoned in England at a prison called Belmarsh Prison, which is the worst of the worst in London, England. He is in a prison where they have not, a section of the prison where they have not given him any blankets, nor have they given any sort of medical care. And there's loads of prisoners around him who supposedly have COVID-19. He, he, is, he is being held in a prison for crimes in another country that he can't be tried for. So the United States wants him to come back, to come over. They want to extradite him. The, the England's like, we're not really, we're not looking to do that. And it, the whole situation with Julian Assange, it's a complete sham. He has no business being in a prison, let alone being tr treated the way he has been treated behind bars in Belmarsh prison nor the way he was being treated while he was in the Ecuadorian um, embassy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Where so, he spent several years. Where he spent several years. He may not necessarily have been waterboarded or flogged or, or shocked with electricity while he was in Equ the Ecuadorian embassy. But if you take away his access to medical care, if you take away his access to walk outside and 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 have any sort of exercise. If you get, if you held him without a trial, yeah. which is another which is which is another uh, human right that we will discuss. That is mm -hmm. a violation of human rights. So we're going to get into more of these. We have about twenty minutes left. There's a lot more that we have to talk about. Obviously, we're, the t the sand is filling up at the bottom of our hourglass. But there's always next week. There's always yeah. next week. There's always true. Week. We can we can. We can <laughs> And, and we're going to have more viewers next week, and we'll have more, more to talk about because this is what we do on the greatest podcast in your history of podcasts, the Joe and Chat, Joe and Cat Chat series. Heck yes. Here we absolutely. go. Absolutely. Last 20 minutes. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. So let's take a look. We've already talked about article number five. We discussed article number six. Basically, wherever you are, you have human rights. Wherever yeah. you are, you have human rights. Article number seven is equal protection under the law. Mm -hmm. Equal protection under the law. Take a, take a look at how many different ways that's been violated. Take a look at how black people are being treated in commissions of crimes as, as, instead of white people. Take a look at the policies that Joe Biden wrote, wrote up. 
the crack law and the crime bill of 1994, how there are how if you have a certain amount of crack in your pocket or in your possession, that that is a lower sentence than other types of drugs. And if you are a white person that carries these different types of drugs, you're less likely to have a harsher sentence than a black person. That is not equal protection under the law. So that's a human rights violation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a great example of it. Um, yeah, I mean, article, did we do eight? No, <laughs> is, we didn't do eight. Sorry. Like... No, no, it's okay. It's cool. It's cool. So... Article eight is everyone has the right to effective remedy by competent national tribunals for acts for uh, violating fundamental rights granted to him by the constitution or by law. Yep. Article nine is no one shall be subject subjected to arbitrary arrest, detention, or exile. Yep, and, take, and we've talked about that. Take a look at the penal system of the United States. We mentioned Khalif Browder, we mentioned Guantanamo Bay. Take a look at the war on drugs. If you get arrested, you get put into jail before you even have a trial. Yeah. That is unfair detention. Again, take a look at Julian Assange. Julian Assange is being held in Belmarsh prison for no damn reason at all. He should be free. He should be able to go back with his partner and his kids. And I think his partner and kids live in Australia, if I'm not mistaken, because he's an Australian citizen. So yeah. you should be able to go back. Um, and Archibald again, that's, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you got it. You got it. I was going to say, again, that's that's related to Article 10 because that's, uh, a, you know, entitled to a full uh, equality to a fair and public hearing. Exactly. Uh, which, exactly. again, reminds me of the whistleblowers episode because all of these things are being violated for, for those folks. Uh, and also the Derek Chauvin trial that's happening right now as we speak. Uh, because we need to continue to pressure the Minneapolis government to maintain a fair trial because so many of these trials with police officers that are white, that kill black folks, end up getting off without any charges or assigned an arbitrary charge that has nothing to do with the murder that they actually inflicted. So we need to, we need to make sure that the Minneapolis government is being held accountable for, for this fair, fair trial. And like you said at the top of the show, George Floyd is not on trial. Derek Chauvin is. Derek Chauvin is, exactly, exactly. And the, the attorney that representing the estate of George Floyd and his family, Benjamin Crump, he said something last night that I was watching on the news. He said that this case is a referendum on racism and justice in the United States of America. And I'm inclined to agree with that statement because we know what we saw for not eight minutes and 46 seconds, but nine minutes and 29 seconds. Everybody around the world saw it. The reason we're doing a podcast is, this, is as an extension of what we saw for almost basically nine and a half minutes. And Our eyes can't lie to us and we can't be deceived by what we saw. And we can't unsee what we saw. We can't, un you can't unring that bell. We can't proverbially speaking, put the toothpaste back in the tube. Once it's out, it's out for everyone to see. And we know what we saw, justice must be served. 
Justice must be served. And Article 11 goes hand in hand with Articles 10 and 9. Article 11, to summarize, is innocent until proven guilty. If a jurisdictional body says that you, Cat Wells, or me, Joe Nice, have committed a crime, okay, prove it. Prove that I did it. Prove that I committed this crime. I'm innocent until you can prove that I am guilty. And now the standards of guilt depend upon the type of criminal offense that has been committed, but there has to be some sort of proof. You just can't arbitrarily throw me in jail because that's a violation of Article 9 and then not give me a fair trial to prove that I did or did not do what you are claiming that I did or did not do. So Articles 9, 10, and 11 are all showing, or quite honestly, exposing the flaws of not only the Canadian justice system, but realistically the United States justice system. Because how many black people end up going to jail and, and, not, and just being there for no reason at all, then not getting the right to a fair trial or having to plead out because for fear of a justice system that is unfairly stacked against black people, and then being charged with a crime and then instead of proving your innocence, you admit to a lower level of guilt because you know the system is stacked against you. So in, in, a, so in the hopes of hopefully getting out and living a life that you should be living, you accept a smaller sentence and accept a reasonable amount of, uh, of smaller guilt, even though you know you did nothing wrong. But you can't necessarily prove it because the system is set up against you, so you can't prove your innocence. Yeah, and to go even further, I mean, a lot of job applications make you state whether you've ever been into prison. Uh, and, you know, once once the system is stacked against you in that way, then, you know, it's a perpetual system that we're upholding of, you know, it's a system of poverty. It's a system of, you know, just structural ways in which racism is upheld, white supremacy is upheld, uh, the patriarchy is upheld, all of the isms are upheld because, you know, when your laws are created in order to privilege white men, particularly, it's really hard to function as a society and as a culture uh, in a different way than your laws are able to penalize people. And it seems like that's what we're, we're talking about a lot in this episode is just, you know, how do we punish people? Because these punishments are violations of human rights. And the way we do it is in, inhumane. I, I, I have nothing else to add to that, Kat. That's, that's as brilliant as anything you've ever said in our previous 41 episodes. Um, thank you. I, I got nothing else to add to that because you're exactly right. You're spot on as usual. Um, you're welcome. <laughs> Episode number 12 is summarizing is everybody has a right to privacy. There are loads of examples of that. Take for instance, Joe Biden and the Counterterrorism Act of 1995. Which, never, which went to Congress but was never voted on. And I know I've said this on numerous occasions. 
when two planes went into the side of World Trade Center 1, when a plane went into the side of the Pentagon, and another airplane landed in the middle of nowhere in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. President George Bush contacted Joe Biden and said, hey, Joe, remember that counterterrorism bill of 1995? Let's remix it, change the name up, and add a couple of more piece pages to it, change the font so it's a little bit bigger from Times New Roman 10 to 12 because you know, George Bush is old and might wear glasses and he needs to see the bigger print. And let's call it the Patriot Act. And take a look at how the Patriot Act violates all sorts of privacy laws. Take a look at big tech and what is happening with censorship right now. And many of the end user licensing agreements that you that you just scroll through and you click okay, but then you end up signing a lot of your rights away, user data, privacy, take a look at Google and how they can track your every move and take a look at what we talked about in the whistleblowers episode with that Israeli security firm, NSO, and how they tracked Jamal Khashoggi's phone and Mohammed bin Salman paid NSO millions of dollars to track Jamal Khashoggi via his iPhone. And he, the second he went into the Turkish embassy, and I think it was in Istanbul, Turkey, yeah. the, um, his Mohammed bin Salman's um, security detail ended up finding Khashoggi, murdering him, and dismembering him, which is a complete, obviously, a, violating his right to privacy, completely violating his right to privacy. And take a look at the censorship that is taking place right now with not only the fourth estates, but the fifth estate. And I've explained the fourth estate is media, the fifth estates are blogs and social media and the internet. So right to privacy, Article 12. Right to th Article 13 is freedom of movement. We've been on lockdown for the better part of just about a year now. Just about a year now. And I'm sure many of you all know my story. Before this pandemic, I was traveling all over the world. I was flying easy 100,000 miles a year with ease. I would do that on an average year nine, 10,000 miles a month, no problem flying around. Freedom of movement. Now look what's happened. I, people can't fly anywhere. People can't go into other countries without all sorts of testing protocols and all sorts of quarantine restrictions and requirements. So freedom of movement basically says that you're allowed to move around your country and you're allowed to travel to any other country that you want to within certain reasonable restrictions and limits. And that's being violated right now because of the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, when I think about freedom of movement too, I just think about like, you know, the ability to move around your own community too. I mean, it's expensive to have a car. It's expensive to to purchase uh, public transit passes for, for places that make you purchase them. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's, there's violations for, for movement uh, in your own community. I mean, jaywalking, for example, you can get a ticket for that. Uh, and so, yeah, so like this, there's a lot of ways that, the, that these human rights are being violated uh, that are so pervasive that we, we barely even think about them sometimes because like I jaywalk constantly, but like I will look around to make sure there isn't a bylaw officer <laughs> before I do it. Of course, um, of course. And so, 
yeah, I mean, I, you know, a lot of this episode has been really heavy. And so, um, you know, in an attempt to sort of make it a little bit lighter for the last few minutes, it's, I think it's just uh, important to, to think about these things in, in a, a multitude of ways, uh, because that's why we think it's important to talk about this stuff, because these rights should be universal. They should be given to all of us just for existing, but they're not. They're not. And I'm going to, I'm going to say something that's going to be somewhat counterintuitive, but I'll, I'll, I'll get there. If, if human beings didn't suck as human beings, if we weren't shitty to each other, okay. you and I would not need to be doing this episode. Right. Because, yeah. you know, from, you know, regardless of whatever religion you practice, the basic tenets of every religion are essentially the same. You, know, you worship whatever higher power or God or being you choose to worship. And you also apply what has always been discussed as the golden rule. You treat others as you would want to be treated. Would you want to be tortured? No. So you don't torture somebody else. Would you want to be enslaved? No. So you don't enslave anybody else. This is just, you know, this is just common sense, common sense shit. Yeah. But as um, I think the French philosopher Voltaire once said, common sense is not so common. And quite honestly, common sense doesn't necessarily apply when you have one group of people that commits genocide or a Holocaust against another group of people. Yes. So as a result, the, it, the ability for human beings to treat other people inhumanely and in an attempt to make sure that we have something written down so other human beings don't treat other human beings inhumanely is the reason we have the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. But if we just got back to treating people like human beings, we wouldn't need to have this document. But because human beings have done, quite honestly, some fucked up shit for a lot of years to a lot of different people, yeah. we needed this. Yeah. So that's why we have it. Yeah, and I think I think it's just it's we could talk about this for ages, and I think we have talked about about this in in so many of of our previous episodes because it really comes down to uh, you know we're talking about world issues, we're talking about systemic issues, and these are all sort of uh, things that are being violated in this Declaration of Human Rights, and so I, I mean hopefully folks. Uh, you know, in, enjoy listening to us break these things down because we think it's really important. Um, yes, but it, I guess we should get to the, the the last two for this week, and then we can finish the the last half of the declaration next week. Absolutely. Now, episode not episode fifteen. My gosh, article. Article. <laughs> article yes, I know. I know. I'm already thinking next week. Article fifteen says that everybody has a right to a nationality. Mm. No one needs to be stateless. Article 15 says we all have the right to be a citizen of a country and nobody without any sort of good reason should prevent us from being a citizen of another country if we want to. Lucky for me, I have citizenship in three countries and none of the three countries that I have citizenship in have said, hey, Joe, because you're a British citizen, you can't be a US citizen. 
Well, because Joe, you're a Trinidadian and Tobago citizen, you can't be a US citizen because we won't let you do that. Now, there are some countries that don't adhere to citizenship based upon a principle called reciprocity. So if, for example, if you're from Norway, you can, it's, 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 it's basically impossible to be anything but a Norwegian citizen. Now, you can travel to other countries, you can go other places, but in terms of having multiple nationalities in certain countries, other countries won't let you do that because their laws are set up in that way. Singapore is another one of these countries where they don't necessarily, they frown upon having multiple nationalities. So if you are a Singaporean citizen, that's it. And you have to renounce all other nationalities or citizenships as a result of having the benefit of being a, uh, a Singaporean citizen. Now, um, another art, now we, I, we unfortunately skipped over one of the articles, which is article 14. I'm just now looking say. at this. Wait a minute, hold on. We went from 13 to 15, there's a number in between. <laughs> and article 14 says that everybody has the right for a safe space to live. If you're in danger, you have the right to go to another country to seek protection. Take a look at, we did an entire episode devoted to that called the refugee crisis. We covered that. And we talked about the different forms of persecution that qualifies an individual to become a, re a refugee. We talked about the differences between a refugee and an asylum seeker and how essentially they are similar in nature, except with a refugee, you don't have a choice of which country you choose, you have to repatriate to. An asylum seeker, or the correct term, an asylee, is already in the country he or she wishes to repatriate to, and then ask for permission to stay in that particular nation and/or country or state. So, we have a right to a safe place to live. Take a look at that. How that's being violated. Cat, you talked about this in the beginning of the episode. Look at the kids at the border. Yeah, that's exactly the point I was just thinking about. I think Article 13 and 14 uh, are sort of similar in this, or can be talked about in the same breath with this one because freedom of movement and, you know, right to asylum is exactly what's being violated with the kids in the fucking cages at the border. I don't care what Biden's calling it, he's still doing it. And we need to be pressuring our governments to allow asylum seekers to have asylum. We can't be keeping these people in, in prison and separating the parents from children and keeping these children in cages. It's horrifying. It's horrifying. It's wrong under Biden. It was wrong under Trump. It's wrong under, under Obama. It's wrong with the Rohingya and the in Myanmar. It's wrong with the Uyghurs in China. It's wrong with Palestine and Israel. It's wrong regardless of wherever it is in the world, whatever part of the world you are living in. If it's wrong in Syria, it's wrong in Northern Africa when you have millions of Northern Africans and Middle Easterners trying to get across the water to a safer place in Europe. Kat, we have 55 seconds left. As usual, sister, a wonderful and magnificent episode. And we're looking forward to part two next week. Yeah, next week we'll do part two of the UN Declaration of Human Rights. Thank you so much for everyone who tuned in. Thank you so much, Joe. It's always a pleasure. Pleasure's always mine. Uh, and 
I mean, we, we do these because we care about each and every one of you. Please take care of yourself and those around you. Uh, like, share, and subscribe on all our socials at Joe and Cat Chats. And also subscribe to Tastemakers Radio on the Dash Radio app. Please, Again, do. Please do. Thank you so much, everyone. And I look forward to next week. It's um, yes. going to be another insightful episode. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're going to cover a lot more ground in the next week. So um, stay safe. Take care of yourselves. Peace.